1: Good morning here on Sports Grid. We're talking fantasy sports, gambling, and everything going on in the world with you. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia with you here on Fantasy Sports Today. Follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish. Follow Joe on Twitter at Joe JoePizzapia17. And of course, follow us on Sports Grid. That's at Sports Grid. Make sure you give us a follow. Tell us what you like, what you don't like about the shows that we're delivering for you every day, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's when we do this show. If you're watching for the first time, welcome aboard. Where have you been for the past oh about year? I would say. <laughs> uh, good, good morning, Joe. What's going on with you? What? There's nothing.
2: There's nothing unlikable about us. I can't find a single thing. I mean, come on. Who wouldn't love? waking up, you have some coffee, you know, you hang out a little bit and then you turn on a little fancy sports today and you spend some time with your best friends Joey P and Craig Mish. I mean, I, I, that's the way I think most people should kind of ease into their late morning early afternoon. We're the we're the show like you say to work out to, to take a walk to, carry around your device. We're perfect. we're We're portable, we're fantastic. And uh, we're another day into the hair growing, which is great. I mean, I don't ever want you to cut it. I am hoping for an Oscar gamble type thing by the time we hit, oh, I don't know, like yeah. August. That's what I'm waiting for.
1: Yeah, it's really uh, taking
2: on a new, uh, a new it's life. It's magnificent. You look like a movie star. It is, it, is, it is
1: good. It is good.
2: I'm with your wife. No, no haircut. Just That's what she going. says. That's
1: what she says. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really feeling it. But here we are. Um, and another day in the month of June. Good to be with you, along for the ride. Certainly, we have some, uh, you know, pretty big news from yesterday. And, you know, I never thought that, you know, we would start off with this here on the show, Joe. But, uh, you know, Mac Williamson was let go by the Nationals. You know, I just didn't see it coming. <laughs> you know, it's sad because Mac Williamson had some pretty good minor league years. He had a I fan- like Mac Williamson.
2: Mac Williamson had about. a fantastic run Fun. early in his career with the Giants. No, no, no in yeah. in minor leagues, and then. I want to say it was Tommy John he had. Uh, I could be wrong about that. I believe he's one of those like position players that had Tommy John surgery, and whatever that year that he missed, it never quite came back for him. And it's unfortunate because he was one of those guys that came up around that same time. Like it was like Brandon Belt came up, and then a couple of years right behind him was Mac Williamson, and these guys were supposed to kind of take over. And unfortunately, he's never materialized in the Giants organization, and then he got moved on. But uh, I don't think that's the
1: big. No, no.
2: But you you made a joke about a player that. Uh, I, 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 you know, when you
1: have players I had him in last dynasty, year. I had him the year before. I, I, I have him every year because I'm still waiting for that to happen. I had
2: him in my dynasty years ago in my minor leagues, and I used to watch, and I was like, "This kid can really play, and man, can he only get a shot? Man, could he only stay healthy?" So, but, but yes, you're alluding there are some bigger news than Mac Williamson. So, well, well I done, think so.
1: The other one, of course, is J.B. Shuck got released. Ah, good. Finally, we got actually. Shuck. I know J.B. Shucky. We play fantasy together. Of course, you you I'm you wishing the back. J.B.
2: Shuck is right here. Hey, say hello, JB. <laughs> like,
1: come and, on. I mean, matter of fact, yes. Matter of fact, yeah. I've got. I do not you. have JB Shuck in my office. This is yeah. This says is, you. This did says not have JB Shuck. By the way, was trying to make it as a pitcher. Came back, tried to make it as a pitcher, yeah. but, pan that camera uh, around.
2: JB Shuck is holding the boom,
1: Michael. Real over your good head, guy. Right? Played for the Marlins for a little bit, then Pirates, Nationals, and of course, you know, some players. The Nationals actually made some news yesterday because uh, I guess the team didn't really have the foresight to know what would happen on social media, just like Major League Baseball and the players don't have the foresight. I mean, look, it's very rarely do I ever come on this show and say, I told you or I showed you. But the so, I mean, how do these people not realize what's going to happen with Twitter and social media and everything that's out there? So the Nationals think, OK, let's let's you know, we could probably get away with not paying our minor league guys. And then one of the players on the team says, "Oh no, that's not going to fly. We're going to get together and play, and pay them." And then of course the Nationals step up and say, "Oh, you know, you guys don't have to pay them. We're going to pay them." And, and this is no different with the sort of bickering that's going back and forth with the owners and the players. It's just a different landscape than 20, 30 years ago. We I mean personally, I was talking to somebody in baseball yesterday and I was saying that I really like the leakers. You know, I, that's what I'm about. When people leak stuff to me, that's how oh I God. break news. Let's,
2: let's just clarify this. This is not a film that Craig used to rent from no. the video store in the back not section. The this is this is yeah. This is, this is, this is, yeah, playing cards at a, the table.
1: You know, right. you know, hold uh-huh. them or fold them, and yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and I got to go to the bathroom. The leakers, <laughs> but, but but honestly. I don't want to hear about, like, it's like, like there, it, I don't feel like anything is being accomplished with any little piece of yeah. news of information that's coming out. Now I get it, guys have to do their jobs, and, <laughs> and, and this is not a job that I would want to do, but I guess we could start off first with the Nationals not understanding what is going to happen to them the second that everybody sees a player post that he's going to pay the minor leaguers, and then of course this back and forth with Major League Baseball where, um, you know, I mean, I don't know where we're headed here. Not really sure. I'm still optimistic, but I would think that they're not going to want to have a baseball draft next week, not knowing if there's a season or not. So hopefully that gets resolved sooner.
2: I, I don't know. I mean, you know, shutting down minor leagues and then to have a draft, bring more minor leaguers in seems kind of like a weird thing. You know, we're only we're five paying.
1: on each team. I know,
2: but we're not paying anybody. I understand. And look, I, I'm, I hope the draft happens. I know we're going to talk some draft stuff today and we're trying to stay optimistic, but you're right. I, I can only imagine what 1994 would have been like with the venom that was on both sides of that labor negotiation had there been Twitter. Oh my God. Like, I don't know if we going to have baseball again, who knows what would have happened. It so it would have been really bad. Well, yeah. there, it was already really bad. So I, there's, there's part of me that wonders, oh my God, would it have been worse? Or, oh my God, would there be pressure on both sides because of the ability to go out there and, and connect to the people that maybe that forces everybody's hand a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what this latest proposal means to you. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are first on it because God knows I have my thoughts, but I I want baseball's Craig Mish to give me his opinion because I think your opinion carries more weight when it comes to this stuff. Um, I'm I'm on the fantasy level, on the analyst level. You're on the inside baseball level. So I'd like to get your take on what this latest proposal means.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it really doesn't, it's just, it's still a part of negotiation. I think that, the the they're sending things back and forth to sort of start the dialogue, which is not getting started. So I'm hopeful that this latest proposal basically goes back as—it's almost like it seems like the owners asked for a lot. The players were like, not only are we are not going to give you a lot, we're going to even ask for more. And then they'll have to meet somewhere in between. So I, mean. I don't understand the games. So the player said,
2: "We're, and we're worried about more money. That's this it. health cons- But but this is, this is what I've been saying the whole time. It's like it's not the health concerns. Don't seem to be their number one priority. It's kind of like just a negotiating tool. And that's where I struggle. The when I saw the first tweet of this, and I saw I said." Wait, 114. Wait, this came from where? From the players? The players want
1: to play. Well, the games? idea of it for them is that if it's going to start, we may as well get paid our full money if we're going to do it. That's,
2: I know, I, I get that, but what happened to all the legitimate concerns about health, and safety, and wellness? Well, I mean, look, there's a 62-page document or whatever it is about all of those those layouts of what they're going to do. But I, I was shocked when the number of games went up by what, like 20 percent? <laughs> that's that's a fair yeah. amount of games here. Like more that's, money. And I and I so let's let's call it what it is. It's about getting paid. It's not about their health and safety. That is just a negotiating tool. I'm sorry. I do like that they did say that any players that had any concerns or whatever, that they would basically allow them to not get paid and not play. And that's very fair. And I think that's the only way you can treat the scenario because it is a life and death issue. But let's be honest, when the players came back with a proposition is 114 games as opposed to 81, I think that tells everybody. What this negotiation's always been about and will always be about. So, well, and I mean, now they're I, trying to I, do some I, other things too for next year. I heard they're trying to right. the, maybe. Oh yeah, let's play some extra games in the postseason and get some more paychecks that way and some other yeah,
1: stuff. You know, listen, all all this stuff may happen. I, I want to add something that's that I okay. think is important. That uh, I read the other day from somebody impartial, who uh, you know has overseen sort of you know situations like this in labor agreements, and he made a really good point which I do believe, which is, which is actually true, is that the players would be, regardless of, of if you think that they don't care about their health, which I still think that there is a degree. It's pretty clear at this point that the underlying focus is the money. But you could make the argument that the players deserve to be paid more in the midst of a pandemic, uh, pandemic than less. You, c- you could make that case. That they are putting themselves, now I don't know if that's really what's on the agenda, but if, but <laughs> the players could say we're the only ones in the world playing a sport every single day, we deserve because we're having to play and put ourselves at risk to pay be paid more, and you know what? They'd be right. They would be right.
2: Yeah, I think they have to get in line behind the nurses, behind the doctors, behind the first aid people, behind first responders, behind the firefighters, behind all – there's a long list of people majorly based ones to get behind, to get paid more for going out there and being essential workers, the grocery store people, the people who work in the pharmacies. Uh, look, I, I get the theoretical thought process behind that, but the practicality and applicability behind that I think are uh, farcical considering the environment we're at, when no one's going to be able to attend the games, it's very difficult. And I, I will say this, in the last week here where I am in New Jersey, which was the second biggest hotspot in the country, basically, I can tell you things have really started to, I think, mentally change here, where there's a lot of people seem to be going about their normal, I would say over the last two weeks, even the last 10 days, a big change, a big shift in how people are reacting to everything. So I think that... Could mean potentially people going to some of these places sooner and starting to congregate. There already seems to be a lot of that stuff sort of bubbling. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I know health officials have warned us about that. But, um, yeah, in terms of getting paid more, get in line. They they, they make plenty as it is. And, and they deserve it. I'm not saying say they don't deserve it. They negotiate their contracts. I'm a union person. I'm in a union. I'm very strong. My grandfather was a union person. I get all that. But at a certain point in time, you have to fulfill your end of the bargain, too.
1: Yeah, no, and, and their end of the bargain is wanting to get paid, uh, you know, their basic salary for the course of the season uh, prorated. So like, you, I mean, I see both sides of it. I do. Well, I, I, and, and I totally a, see
2: both sides. And that's a, the good journalist in you should. And that's what makes you better than me, because you're a good journalist and I'm the hot take, fiery Italian guy who's going to get in there and lose his mind about things. Do you think you're going to get 114 games out of Major League Baseball
1: this year? Gut instincts. So. I, I, I mean, we're really running out of time for that. I think. Like, if they had an agreement now, they want to commence on June realist. 30th on this latest agreement. They don't want to want. them, am sorry. Uh, June 30th was their date for for starting. <laughs> right. Well, they would have to. They would have to play like an extra doubleheader every other week or something like that. Um. I, I mean, look, anything is possible. Uh. You know, they didn't even address the fact of playing the postseason in the World Series would have to be done in either California or or Florida. I mean, that's 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 a certainty too. Uh, but, you know, realistically, I, I think the number is probably around 100. I think that that's the most that, th- that you, they could consider playing. And that may even be too much at this point. But, uh, look, it's just, a, it's just a web at this point, and they're stuck in It, it feels like we're just going to go back and forth with this for a few more days. But, I mean, I don't have a drop-dead date. I cannot imagine that there will be either a season or not a season by the time we get to June 10th. Because that's going to be a broadcast day for a draft. And I cannot imagine that you're going to have a draft and be uncertain as to whether or not you're still going to play and take that distraction away. Maybe there's no season at that point, and that would be a resolution of some kind. But I think that that's kind of the date, I think 10, uh, nine days from yesterday. All right, we'll be back with more fantasy sports today. This day in fantasy sports history, and our fantasy sports birthdays are next.
4: Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And hey, welcome back. It's time for this day in fantasy sports history. And our June birthdays began on the first, we continue here. On the second, anybody in your household have a birthday in June, Joe?
2: Hmm, no. Well, actually, my, my my best friend from college' uh, birthday was yesterday, June first. So, uh, so shout out to my guy, Kurt. Uh, Kurt has uh, quadruplets, uh, by the way. Wow. He, uh, yeah, he's. I've heard of that. Point, he at one point he had five children under the age of five. He had an older son, and then a couple okay. years later, they had quadruplets. And did he uh, know that they were having them? Uh, yeah, they did now. They was they it was an in vitro kind of situation, so they kind of huh. knew. Uh, but uh, he and now his um his new wife, uh, between the two of them, at any given time there's now seven teenagers in that house, which is staggering because she had two kids from a previous relationship. So all boys, uh,
1: all girls, mixed. Uh,
2: a mix. One of them happens to be my godson. But uh, whenever I ever got stressed out with the little kids in my house when I had the two kids here and they were smaller, you know, I always just say, well, no perspective. You know, I can't imagine what it's like I doing four feedings at once, four potty trainings at once, all that stuff. That's crazy. But in terms of June, not not so many others. Not not family members so much. June's kind of like that clear month there, where okay. it's just end of school into that. How about you? Any any June birthdays you're celebrating? No, no my baby. son's birthday is July fourth. Ah. How yeah, does that work? Does he, he, he like the holiday birthday or does he hate does. it? He does. He really likes it, yeah.
1: See, yeah. that's a I fun mean, he, one, though. There's
2: fireworks yeah. on your birthday, for God's sake. That's amazing. Right, but,
1: you know, as of uh, when he was five, we weren't keeping him up for it. Last year we right. did, and now now he can. But he, he would struggle to stay up until 9 o'clock, you know. So, But but now he— Hey, some nights I struggle. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> but I
2: always felt like when kids have birthdays on holidays, sometimes they— Get a little like, eh? Know. You know, they kind of get the shaft. But I guess July Fourth, you know, you got like fun outdoor activities. You got the pool, and you got the fireworks. Hopefully the this year, yeah. Hopefully this. Oh, Look, like, I'm doing it. I don't care if I gotta go, you know, get some illegal fireworks in my own backyard. We're doing it. By the way, <clears throat> law enforcement, if you're watching,
1: I'm not getting illegal fireworks in my backyard. There you go. It'll uh, walk it back with Joe Pizza. All right, here we go. June the second, 1935. <laughs> Babe Ruth retired his final game. And of course, goes down as one of the greatest players, sportsmen ever of all time, for sure. This was it, last day in uh, in uh, his stellar career. Uh, speaking of stellar careers, Eric Davis, who we've talked about about you know pretty much a lot over the last couple. Yeah, weeks. he's come he up, up a hitting, couple times. Yeah, he ended up hitting for the cycle <laughs> in 1989 for the Cincinnati <laughs> Reds, which shouldn't really come as a surprise. He could do it all. Uh, what the Babe Ruth thing? That was with the the Braves. He retired, right?
2: Boston Braves at the time.
1: It may it may have been maybe he was player coach or something like that I don't recall
2: because that whole thing with Babe Ruth was always he wanted to be manager of the Yankees they told him that was going to happen that whole debacle and he just he loved the guys he wanted to be and I always struggle with this idea you know I always feel like when you had the troublemaker kid and I you know you I'm sure you coach I coach whenever you had the kid that had a little bit of a trouble in him I would always give him more responsibility. And I found that they always responded when you gave them more responsibility. Like, hey, you're in charge of making sure this happens at practice. You're in charge of the, And and it was amazing. When you gave the troublemaker more to do, they, they kind of took on a leadership role. And I always wonder, I know Babe Ruth had the bigger in life personality. I know he had a lot of things going on. But I kind of, I'm sad for him that he didn't get that opportunity to really be a full out manager. Because I often wonder, would that have been just the thing he needed later in life? Because it seemed like. Without baseball, he just kind of, you know, unfortunately deteriorated, which is kind of sad. You know? Yeah, know. I mean, of the he got sick,
1: So, um, Yeah. But, you know, but still, yeah, I mean, look, it was it was a time that there there still aren't really a lot of answers about him. It's like you get to this point in baseball, and it's just folklore at that point because it was so long ago. But, oh, look, I, I think that it certainly was a possibility, but for whatever reason, they didn't want him uh, as the manager. Listen, I mean, Ted Williams was never the manager of the Red Sox either. Right. He had to go to Washington to do that, so— Um, All right. 1996, uh, the Seattle Sonics. Hey, they're in the NBA finals. We saw this play out on the the television show, The Last Dance, and they end up winning uh, in game seven against the Utah Jazz to win the NBA West Finals. Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, and those guys. And, um, you know, this was the one really great year for Seattle. Yeah. Soon after that, a few years later, they would end up with uh, you know Kevin Durant, and then end up moving, and that was kind of the end of Seattle basketball there, which is yeah. you know kind of sad. I thought they had a good franchise.
2: Yeah, Gary Payton, underrated player too. I mean, I would take Gary Payton on my team any day of the week. Great two-way player, just a tremendous competitor. He he had that aggressiveness too that you love. Like I, I like guys like that. I like Gary Payton had the ball in his hand running up the court. You knew that he was in control of the game, and you got to love that out of a point guard. It's always so felt about watching Mark Jackson play too. I was never a Knicks fan. But man, I love watching Mark Jackson because just felt like he was in control at all times. And I love Jason Kidd. Though those point guard is like a – won't say a lost art form, but that was like a golden age when you think of the Stocktons and you think of uh, Gary Payton and and um, uh, Jason Kidd and all these guys. I mean, man, even Magic Johnson. I don't know if the point guard maybe Brett can speak to this too has a has a quite evolved to match what we were seeing in the 80s and 90s because some of those guys, man, they just took that position to another level, in my opinion. And most of them were great scorers, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, there aren't just really a lot of distributors in no. in the NBA. There's, uh, you know, the, the guys who are are scorers, too. So um, there aren't a lot of those guys around that'll, you know, score 12 points a game, but average 10 assists. The guys that make everybody better,
2: you know? Like, that's
1: the player. Well, I mean, <laughs> LeBron makes everybody better, and so does, you know, and, and there are other players, too, I'm sure, that do, but in, in general, everybody wants the ball, and that's yeah. kind of the way it works. Uh, 2008 player that doesn't really get talked about a lot, uh, honestly. And, you know, I don't I don't believe that Chase Utley is a Hall of Famer, Joe, but I think that when it's all said and done and it gets to, like, a veteran, veterans mm-hmm. committee at some point, I think that he'll have a shot. I think, I eventually- think he is, based on the position he played. You look at his he stats against it. some of those Ryan
2: Sandberg guys. Like, I know Jeff Kent's not in yet, but as cantankerous as Jeff Kent is, I don't think you can look at Jeff Ken's numbers statistically and not think he's a hall of famer. And I look at chase Utley as a, a fine player, a great defensive player too. the heart and soul. of Those Phillies teams were so good for that window of time. They went to win a world series. Uh, I look as a Mets fan. I can tell you there's many a times where I had many an expletive for chase Utley, but I have nothing but respect for the guy. And if I had a vote for the hall of fame, I would put him in. I think he is that good. I think he was the best player on that team. He might not have had the most power compared to Ryan Howard, uh, and some other guys maybe a little bit more dynamic, but I don't know, man. Chase Utley was the guy I always feared the most. One of the great fantasy players, too, because you always knew what you were getting out of him every year. I love that.
1: Yeah, he was like Arenado, who we talked about yesterday at 30. He knew exactly yeah. what Utley was, uh, was going to do at second base. All right, and, uh, and finally, we closed out in 2010. This was the day that Armando Galarraga lost his, his uh, perfect game on that bad call. So, didn't realize that was today. And I don't know
2: if we would be talking about it if he didn't lose it. So... I mean, yeah, it's I, I do think they should go back and give it to him. I, I, because you said they haven't done that, right? Because they could technically go back and give him the, the perfect game, right? I guess they could, but I mean, I mean, I've never, I've never seen precedent it. for that. Let's do it. Let's do something. Not- Baseball could use some good PR. Let's go do that. Let's give Armando Galarraga his day in the sun,
1: finally. Okay. All right, Armando Galarraga, there you go. On behalf of Fantasy Sports Today, you pitched a perfect game. There you go. Does that mean anything? Probably not. It absolutely means everything. All right. This day in fantasy sports, birthdays for June the 2nd. Not a uh, star-studded list, unfortunately, for us today. We'll start off with Craig Stadler, former Masters champion, PGA Tour star for many years, also proving that you can be a golfer at any time, any age, and any place. Like the uh, walrus, as he's nicknamed Craig Stadler. (laughs) 1972, Raul Ibanez, many years with Seattle, Kansas City, and then uh, playing at the end there with New York. I'm, I'm very surprised that Ibanez is not a manager for a major league team, and I think that that will come eventually. I think that's yeah. coming soon.
2: He was one of the great clubhouse leaders. He has a great years with the Royals and the Mariners, too. Uh, Ibanez, another one of these steady guys, kind of like that outfield slash DH guy that just needed 20 bombs. And 80, 80, where's Raul Abanias? There are on the draft board. There he is. Click. Uh, I had a lot of shares over the years of Abanez. I was always a big fan of his, so I'm. Uh, uh, it's nice to give him a little love there. And he did play for the Yankees. I know earlier he in this session there.
1: He did play for the Yankees. <laughs> it's interesting is that you remember that he played for the Yankees because he had some big moments with the Yankees. Like, there are other guys like, that I would tell you that played for the Yankees, and you'll be like, what? He played for the Yankees? I don't. Well,
2: especially that. in the mid-'90s. The mid-'90s, Yankees was a turnstile. Of who's who of veterans. They would come in there for like a year and then they would spit them back out. Mike Aldrete coming up for a pinch hit. And I was watching, I was like, oh my God, when did Mike Aldretti play for the Yankees?
1: I don't remember that. Lance at all. Berkman, didn't he play for the Yankees too? Yeah. Uh, yeah
2: Lance Berkman did, yeah, in the two thousand, He did. That was <laughs> forgot about that too my god they got everybody
1: random guys like uh but but you don't really remember those guys because they didn't really do much but has had some big hits for them no doubt Mm -hmm. uh Abby Wambach old medalist for the women's team gotta make sure we mentioned her today born in 1980 so happy birthday to Abby and then uh really not a star-studded NFL list for us today believe me I checked I, I check every day with this stuff and uh yeah, I mean, he's, he's certainly... I'm sure that I could have found a better player on this list for birthday, but I don't know that I could have found someone that has created more fun for us to be able to talk about than Eddie Lacy, one of the bigger busts, I would say. How do you mean back. that? <laughs> it did not work out for Eddie Lacy. No,
2: it did not. It is funny because the one year where Eddie Lacy was being discussed as the safe option, I remember at the top of fantasy drafts, I kept looking at everybody going... Yeah, you think he's the safe guy at the top of this? Like, I don't know how I feel about that. And a lot of people pivoted to him. I remember as a safe number one overall pick. And let's just say it did not work out. Abby Wambach, on the other hand, I don't want to gloss over her. A Very important uh, figure in women's soccer who also bridged the gap between that 99 group and that kind of the Mia Hams of the world that kind of aged out a little bit. And then Abby was the younger player on those teams as those uh, women had sort of, you know, started to become the veterans. And then bridge the gap into that new group that we have uh, in the last five, six years, too, that we've seen go on magical World Cup runs and and obviously uh, gold medals as well. So she's kind of an important figure because she is kind of the through line between what women's soccer is now and that group that took America by storm. She's kind of in the middle uh, which is fascinating. She's still got a lot of W's <laughs> next to her name, but she's kind of that one character that you can tie those two generations of women's soccer together. So uh, shout out to her, Abby Wambach. Happy birthday. And Eddie Lacy. Better than Eddie Lacy. Did you own a lot of Eddie Lacy over the years ever? Or no. Uh, I, I mean, he I think I had one years or two years. shares. What did the guy have, two years? Uh, he was around for longer than that. Didn't he try to come back with the Seahawks or something? I kind of remember that too. Make I don't know why.
1: Guy, huh?
2: Now uh, I've made him Google Eddie Lacy. Make sure you're googling Eddie Lacy, not Cagney and Lacy, or anything other than Lacy, because I don't want your wife to look uh, like. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, he had two history. years
2: of over a thousand yards.
1: Yeah, he was, he was he was okay for apart. two
2: years and then fell apart. Did he did he play with the Seahawks or was that just a? He did. He did. Look at that. See? He got that one. I got that one. But he did not play for
1: the Yankees. I <clears throat> Just want you to know. Or the Twins. <laughs> the
2: twins. Why or is that the, the other ones. one? Was that the other running gang? <laughs>
1: I may have to keep that one for a while. Ruined my trivia day yesterday.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm 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 sorry. Hey, I'm usually pretty good with that. I made one mistake. I apologized immediately. All right. We'll we'll let you go
1: on that one. All right. Coming up next, we're going to go back and start taking a look, since the draft is coming up next week, at some uh, draft information in the past for Major League Baseball. Don't go away.
0: Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table.
1: All right, welcome back. It's time for us to do a little bit of a dive into a past draft in Major League Baseball, and really the fantasy ramifications that it came from. And it's funny that we've heard about so many of these players who have gone on to have Hall of Fame careers, who were drafted at the top, and sort of how franchises have changed. And uh, and yeah, the the Astros didn't get punished maybe as much as some people would have liked to, but make no mistake about it: if you're a really good franchise and you have good success drafting players, you really need those picks and it especially now comes into play for teams like the Tigers and the Royals and the Orioles and the Marlins because uh, as one agent once put this to me about a year ago is uh, the dra- is is it's a currency this draft like you have a player in a first round pick if you can get a comp pick cuz you can't trade the first round picks but if you can get a comp compensatory pick you're talking about potentially joe a player that is $300 million in a contract mm-hmm. that you don't have to pay that to for six years in Major League Baseball. So the draft is supremely important and we'll right. dive more into the future of what the draft will look like on the 10th. Uh, in fact, uh, I'll have my podcast tomorrow. Uh, that'll be out on Swings and Mishes where uh, I'm going to have the, the, uh, the Marlins director of of the of amateur scouting, got it right. Okay, the Marlins director of amateur scouting, mm-hmm. D.J. Sfilik, he is gonna be on my podcast. And so we're gonna go over some of the potential landing spots for the Marlins. But uh, let's go back in the past before we do that. Before we go to the future, let's take a look back, Joe, at some of the best players that were taken and kind of how things worked out.
2: Yeah, I figured it'd be fun to look at each individual organization and see what the best draft of their franchise history was and how quickly that can turn around an organization. and or extend the life of an organization, too, that's already doing well when you make the most of picks and you're already doing well and you can filter in more youth and all of a sudden continue to be a very good franchise. And I think that kind of starts with the Baltimore Orioles because the Orioles were always a very competitive team under Earl Weaver for years and years, through the, uh, the 60s into the 70s, and then even into the 80s. <laughs> Earl Weaver, which has continued to manage through for decade after decade. And it's amazing to think about 1978, the year I was born, that Cal Ripken Jr. was also drafted, but he wasn't a first-round selection. He was actually a second-round selection out of Aberdeen High School, and uh, that's kind of crazy because uh, when you think about Cal Ripken and Hall of Famer, you would imagine, he must have been a first-round pick. He wasn't. He was a second-rounder, but that wasn't the only guy they got. They also got a little pitcher named Mike Boddicker in that draft as well in the sixth round. So – that was a pitcher that I know a lot of people will forget, but you and I just recently talked about, we were talking one of the 80 seasons and Mike Boddicker was basically had a run there for a couple of years where he was a front of the rotation guy. And <clears throat> look, Ripken, Eddie Murray, uh, those were the early to mid-80s Orioles that had some really good teams as well and always were very competitive. So uh, the Orioles' best draft, 1978. Uh, your thoughts on Cal Ripken and Mike Boddicker in the same class. Not bad, right?
1: Yeah, no, not bad at all. Um, I mean, Mike Boddicker, a really underrated pitcher and mm-hmm. pitching at the top of the Orioles' rotation for a long time. And Cal Ripken, I mean, the Iron I mean, What's left to say about him? They did a fantastic job. Uh, even later on, Mike Messina was another player that came through the Orioles system that they did a good job with. And then things just turned for them in the 2000s. Yeah. Uh, you know, Adam Lowen was a player they drafted. Brian Mattis was another one. And then they couldn't figure out what to do with Jake Arietta. So they just traded him. And then Arietta went on to have. And uh, Matt Weeders never became the guy deep. that I thought. Yeah, that's envisioned. true, too.
2: That's true, too. Because he, he had Piazza like labels. And I don't know if that was fair, but. He didn't get to that point, unfortunately, ever. I mean, he didn't get close to that. But that that was the feeling I remember. That was the hype trying behind my weeders, right? I mean, that was the level Absolutely. of expectation. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, never got there. For the Red Sox, this one's up for debate. So in, uh, in 1976, you got a draft for the Red Sox with Wade Boggs, Bruce Hurst, and John Tudor. <laughs> I think that one's pretty good. Then you yeah, have 1989 it, yeah. with Jeff Bagwell, Mo Vaughn, and Paul Quantrill. 68, Cecil Cooper, Ben Ogilvy, Bill Lee. Uh, but then, of course, you have 1983 with Roger Clemens So and Ellis Burks. So those are two players that we know pretty well. So I, I guess the question is, do you go for the draft that has the high end where you get Roger Clemens in it? Or do you go for maybe the bulk of the Wade Boggs, Bruce Hurst, John Tudor? And honestly, Tudor had a couple of years for the Red Sox, but people probably know him more for later in his career with the uh with the dodgers and, and cardinals too i believe uh john tudor if i'm correct uh but where would you go would you go with the 83 would you go with the jeff bagwell group even though they ne- bagwell never really played for the Reds? Right probably
1: time? so i mean i mean you make a mistake i think you still got to look at that group and pick the best player from that group right i mean i don't know it's tough it's a tough one it's so tough. What about well you?
2: because because bagwell and mo vaughn in one draft is staggeringly good but then you think well but Jeff Bagwell became Larry Anderson, right? <laughs> so like, I don't know if you want to go that route or maybe you want to put your money on Ellis Burks and, and Roger Clemens. I, I really can't decide. I kind of defer to you on this one. Uh, I'll,
1: I'll
2: probably go with, with Burks and Clemens. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I think most people probably would. Burks you Burks know, went on what? to
1: be great with Colorado too. I mean, he, uh,
2: I, I, would say, I would say it's about even. That's a great point. I don't think I think his Colorado days people might look back oh, at. You would be shocked to see the numbers that he had. Oh, hey, okay. that's what Colorado does. I mean, Bruce Hurst was an underrated big game pitcher too. That was another guy that showed up. Man, I remember him in that uh the not only LCS but also the World Series too, just having some huge gains. When I mean, that guy just stepped up, you know, in the vacuum of Clemens. Sometimes like Clemens got all the hype. But Bruce Hurst was the guy that really held that rotation together. Because after that, it was Oil Cam Boyd, Al Nipper, and then Tom Seaver retired at some point. So they really didn't have quite a back end to that rotation. Bruce Hurst was very important to that team in the 80s. He was. was. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays, 1989 draft. How about this grouping? You like this? John Olerud and Jeff Kent. Not bad for first and second baseman, right? Fortunately, they can keep Jeff Kent very long. But that's a pretty damn good draft, I'd say, in 1989.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jeff Kent, to me, and you talked about him before, he is genuinely one of the travesty players that's not in the Hall of Fame. And he, to me, is a victim of some of the things that you discussed, which is one, not the most likable guy in the world. But the other problem is, and I don't think this gets talked about enough, and reasons why some players, I think, have to wait to get into the Hall of Fame later, is that Yes, Jeff Kent was a great giant, and he won the MVP with the Giants. But he also played with the Dodgers. And he also played with the Blue Jays. And he also played with the Mets. And he also played with the Astros. Right. And and I think he's got that Gary Sheffield thing going on too. It's like, some it's good years with the
2: Astros. But you're right, yeah, so that around. fan
1: support sometimes comes from the internet and it comes from fan bases. And it's like, which fan base is going to rally for Jeff Kent? You know, I don't I don't know that one would.
2: It's uh, you can say the same about Olderwood too. I mean, Olderwood played 17 years, he was a wonderful defensive player. Uh, over 17 years, check out this slash 295, 398, 465. That is a very good major league baseball player <laughs> for 17 years to come away with a slash like that. I mean, to almost have a 400 on base percentage, I think people forget just how good John Olerud was and a guy who won almost everywhere he went. I mean, he was a winning player with the Blue Jays there for those couple of years. And then, of course, a very big part of turning the Mets around in the late 90s. I, I always just loved Olerud. He, I always found him to be a very impressive guy. And, of course, I love that that story Ricky Henderson tells when uh, later on they were playing together in Seattle. And he says, huh, you wear a helmet to play first base. I used to play with a guy in Toronto who did that. And he's like, Ricky, that was me. (laughs) I remember that story, too. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Uh, You got to love Ricky. Ricky is always good for some Ricky moments. Uh, Let's go with the Yankees here. Um, Look, the Yankees have had some ups and downs in the draft. There's no doubt about it. But I think it's hard to argue with the 1990 draft because that's where they have Andy Pettit and Jorge Posada. Now, I don't know if either of these guys are going to be Hall of Famers, but in terms of what they meant to this organization – They were, along with Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams, kind of, you know, that core four, that heart and soul of the organization. And I often wonder, had 94 played out, if both of these guys would have still been in the organization or would they have looked to make a move and moved on from some of these young talent for that chance to win and be relevant? Because the Yankees were in that race. They were first in the, you know, we all know the Steinbrenner you know, M.O. was always move on with the young kids and try to get more veteran talent and win now. But it, it wonders also in that draft, Carl Everett, pretty good player, Ricky Leday, and Shane Spencer. And Shane Spencer had some big moments for the Yankees as well. So how do you feel about that 1990 uh, class for the uh, New
1: York Yankees? Oh, man. I mean, I mean, you talk about building a team through the draft and yeah. building a team through youth. The Yankees not only did it then, but they just continued to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why... You talk about a class organization that did it through money, and then they completely shifted with Brian Cashman and started doing it through the draft, and they continue to do it now. I mean, Posada and Jeter and internationally, Mariano Rivera, and then now it's Sanchez, it's Judge. Right. What are you going to say? Yeah, they fill, they fill in the blanks now with the money, but they do it through the draft. And they've targeted guys on other organizations, too, and made great
2: trades like labor Torres, who I think, again, I, I'll stand by this. I think he is their most important player. Um, I just uh, – Gene Michael doesn't get enough credit for those years that he was rebuilding things when Steinbrenner was not around. And that was this 1990-ish period, and people forget that. And then, of course, Gene Michael kind of got ousted there and kind of lost in the shuffle with Cashman and all that guys. but. That core four, that was all built around Gene Michael, and let's not forget that. Shout out to him. All right, 2006 for the Rays, you could say it was their best draft because, well, it's a franchise guy. It's Evan Longoria. Uh, Evan Longoria, three-time All-Star, a career 56 war player, number three pick overall. They also drafted Alex Cobb and Desmond Jennings, who were contributors for the Rays when the Rays were competitive with Longoria. So although those guys didn't end up having the careers I guess they'd hoped for, They did contribute to some pretty good, uh, you know, uh, Rays teams. And Evan Longoria was a quick riser. This is a guy who jumped from double-A right to the big leagues, which you don't see happen every day.
1: Yeah, and Longoria and the Rays, think about this. Um, Heim Bloom, who just got hired, right? Friedman, Andrew Friedman, that got hired by the Dodgers. All the players that you see getting drafted right now, done by them, and one is running the Dodgers. And the other one is running the uh, Boston Red Sox. So what does that tell you about how good the race system is?
2: Do you think it is? I mean, if you had to put a weighting on it uh, in terms of the international signings versus the the actual draft, because I know at the opening of the top of the segment, you were talking about the Astros. And we kind of went back to some of the Astros drafts. And we saw, man, they really blew a lot of first pick number one <laughs> overall a couple of years. Two out of three years, they kind of blew it. Yet they made up for it in the international signings. They made up for it later in the draft. So In your mind, is it really super important to get that first one right, or is it more important collectively as an organization to hit on more players as opposed to the one big player?
1: Yeah, I think it's probably more players because one player in baseball, as we see with Mike Trout, doesn't really move the needle. It makes him the best player in the game, and it doesn't win. So in general, I think you have to have the core. But make no mistake about it. You have to be a franchise that's willing to spend money when you need to, and some Mm -hmm. franchises still aren't willing to do that. I think the Indians are a really good example of that. They were on the precipice of winning a World Series against the Cubs, and all of those prospects, all those young players got them there. But did they go out and spend two hundred million dollars on a player? No. No so, they spent um, on the
2: Encarnaciones and they, they did bring in some guys over the years. But you're right. They didn't go bring in the Justin Verlander. The That's the difference. Like Houston went out and got Verlander. <laughs> you know, right. that makes a difference.
1: Well, let's take a quick timeout. We'll continue the interesting discussion here on the drafts. We're going to take a look at the uh, National League East when we come back next. Also, some FanDuel props in the NFL. You're watching Fantasy Sports today. Don't go away. Welcome back to fantasy sports today. As we wrap up the first hour of the show, we're talking about a lot of the great teams and their drafts. Of course, the June draft, the first year amateur draft is coming up on June the 10th. And, and look, the unfortunate part, make no mistake about it, Joe, about this draft. And it can't be overlooked is all of the kids who, you know, had their hopes and dreams pinned on being drafted on this day uh, on June 10th. And now they have cut this draft down to five rounds It certainly isn't something that I'm a big fan of. I know that a lot of the teams, especially the ones that needed to draft for their future, wanted more than five rounds, too. And look, it's one thing to go from a 40-round draft to a 20. But Joe, they're going all the way to five. And if you go back and look at the history of Major League Baseball, yes, there aren't a lot of players drafted in the 37th round. Like for every Mike Piazza, there's a million kids who didn't make it that got drafted that late. Mm -hmm. But uh, still kind of hurts a little bit for me. It's not something I like to say. Yeah. 40 down
2: to five is a bit extreme. I mean, that's (laughs) – it's not even cutting it in half. It's not cutting it by a third. It's cutting it by ridiculous. And I I don't know. I mean, it just – it makes you believe that what's coming next for the minor leagues in the next few years is going to be significant changes. And I think that is the the biggest precursor to it is this this sizing down of the draft. Would you agree with that statement that the minor leagues as we knew it in our lifetime is not going to be the same? Yeah. I mean, and do you need three levels of minor leagues at this point? Too, no, because- no,
1: I, I think that we'll never see a 40-round draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I absolutely believe 10 or 20 rounds is coming back. I, I think that this is a one-time thing for this year. And, With- and unfortunately, I, I mean, say what you want, but my belief is is that the reason why the pay- the players this year were paid without playing, and again, they could play and that could change, but they're still they still got a portion of their salaries anyway. They basically mm-hmm. took it from all the kids that were gonna get drafted, Joe. Yeah. I mean, that's oh,
2: it. You're right. I I often wonder too, now what we've seen in the last few years where these younger players have come up and make huge contributions in the last five years. I mean, these players are more ready than ever. We talked about it. The academies are giving them incredible instruction. The colleges, even the high schools are giving much better higher level instructions. A lot of kids are getting private instruction. So The kid 20 years old in, you know, 1985 is not the same kid you're getting right now in 2020. So the level and the caliber of young player is higher. And with these kids cracking into the major leagues at 21, 22 years old, it doesn't necessarily seem like we need three levels of minor league baseball anymore. I don't think it's as relevant in order to get to the big leagues and have success. Now, whether that means you're going to have a single A and a double A or a double and a triple or however you want it, or first level and a second level it just seems like that's the trend and that's where it's going. And I, I think that's important to recognize. If if that's not where the bulk of the talent is getting groomed and coming through, then what's the point of running it at this point? Because it is a huge expenditure. And it's also, you look at other sports, other sports don't run this way. Baseball has had, you know, several levels of just A-ball, for God's sakes. <laughs> and I mean, that, you know, just for and, people and to realize
1: Again, And again, we don't want to minimize, you don't want to minimize the idea that we're taking livelihoods and jobs away from kids that are going to have nothing, though. I mean, we're taking away opportunities. I'm not saying that all of these minor leagues need to exist, but in one fell swoop, eliminating a thousand kids. Well, but do we need three levels of single A ball?
2: I guess that's the question. And I don't know if the answer is yes at this point, at least not in the sense of, you know, maybe it's other places. Maybe it, it is more kids going playing the college baseball route. Maybe that's what we're going to see and, and even less high school talent. Maybe we're going to see kids stay at academies longer and things of that nature. It's it's going to be fascinating, but there's going to be an evolution. And uh, as we are talking about the draft and the evolutions of some of these teams, how important it is for teams to hit on not just good talent, but also some great talent and how that can change the face of an organization. And I don't know if there's a better example of that than the Phillies in 1971, where they took, of course, one, Michael Jack Schmidt, one of the greatest to ever play, and arguably the greatest third baseman of all time. Uh, and again, just like Cal Ripken, here's another one. Second round pick. Mike Schmidt didn't go in the first round. What's going on here? I mean, how, how does everybody pass on Mike Schmidt? That seems like a failure at some level. But uh, that's that's a pretty good one right there. So the first round pick was Roy Thomas, and second round was uh, was Mike Schmidt. So at least they, they salvaged us.
1: Did he play for the New York Knights?
2: <laughs> you he play for the Yankees? <laughs> Roy Hobbs. Well oh, that was Roy, Roy Hobbs. Hobbs. Roy Hobbs. Yeah, I'm not Different a big nat- natural fan. I'm never a little little corny for me that movie. I don't know. I know a uh, sacrilege, sacrilege, but whatever. But look, sometimes it's about the bulk of a class. Sometimes it's getting that one sure. great all time great player. I think when you look at the rest of the Phillies drafts, I don't think any stack anything stacks up to getting Mike Schmidt number one overall because some of the other players that you know came through that Phillies organization, people don't realize they were. They were guys who were acquired, you know, in trades and things like that. They weren't drafted by the Phillies. So it doesn't get much better than Mike Schmidt. So that's the number one. Any any arguments or feedback on that one from you on this one?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> really, not really much to add when you're talking about the best third baseman, arguably, yeah. uh, of all time or one of them. So, yeah.
2: Well, what's sad is, uh, is Mets drafts. You go back and look at some of them. I was trying to find one where we had a lot of great players. We had a couple one-offs and, you know, back-to-back years taking Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden. That was some pretty good drafting right there. They earned those draft picks, those, uh, those late seventies, early eighties Mets. They certainly did. But I, I think I'm going to go with 1982, which is the Dwight Gooden draft. They also drafted Roger McDowell, who was a huge part in those Mets runs in the mid eighties and also into the 88 year. Uh, another guy that had a long career. And then, Pretty good run as a pitching coach in Atlanta, too. But uh, I would think that you go back and you think about Dwight Gooden was that new ace. He was that guy after Tom Seaver. There was kind of a lull. And then Dwight Gooden was a guy who was on the side of buildings in Manhattan. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a prettier pitcher to watch in my life than Dwight Gooden. There was something about that windup. Something about watching him on the mound that just seemed just perfect. Unfortunately, so many of the Mets drafts have been busts, but Dwight Gooden was that guy that kind of re-energized the entire organization and made them think, oh my gosh, we have an ace. We have somebody we can win with here at the top of the rotation. Then you bring in the the Carters and Hernandezes of the world and build around them.
1: Yeah, and I think that when we look back at probably the last 50 years of baseball, you gotta ask what if. Now, I I think the Braves winning 13 titles and only winning one world series is probably something that is above that i mean that that's the one thing that you look at and say my gosh like how did they win so much but they had sustained success for over a decade and i think that if you asked the mets to trade they would you know they would trade winning 13 nle's titles and then only winning one world series which the mets of course did um But for some reason, it just pains me that the Braves, with all of that talent and all those pitchers, were only able to win one World Series. And I think when you're in the moment and you just keep winning, it feels good. And then now you look back and say, wow, what a wasted opportunity. Outside of that, I agree. I think. Well,
2: I think with the Braves, you go back and it was kind of the bullpen that was always the thing that caught them in in trouble. They had such great starting pitching. But you would get into this – I mean, it was everybody from the Juan Berengares to the Alejandro Pena's to the Mark Wollers to John Rocker. I mean, the list goes on and on of guys who, you know, at one point in time were saving games <laughs> for the Atlanta Braves. But it was kind of a turnstile. They The difference between the Braves run and the Yankees run is Mariano Rivera. <laughs> I mean, when you can shorten that game and you know you got automatic, that's the one thing. That's the big difference here. And. Uh, you know it's it's kind of sad. I mean, we could jump to the Braves here; they weren't next on the list, but we're talking about them, so let's yeah, well, talk about let's talk about the 2007 draft because uh, that's a pretty good one here, where you have Jason Hayward, Freddie Freeman, back-to-back picks there. That's uh, not too shabby. Uh, I know Jason Hayward probably didn't live up to exactly what he could have been, but
1: yeah, that's there were sure.
2: a lot of individual drafts. We had 1990 Chipper Jones, 1984 Tom Glavin. You know, people forget, you know, Greg Maddox had some years with the Cubs and John Smoltz was not drafted (laughs) by the Atlanta Braves. He was acquired for who? Doyle Alexander. That's right. Uh, But when you look at the Braves, I think that Freddie Freeman, Jason Hayward group, probably this recent generation of Braves fans will agree that's
1: probably their best draft class in the last 50 years. I think that, I mean, historically speaking, not just these guys, but. Now, with what's been happening with the Braves, I mean, forget about the USA. How about international? Ozzy Albies, Ugh. Ronald Cunha. Um, well, that's difference... the difficult thing, is they, they've been so good in that market, it doesn't pertain to this well, best draft class. Well, course. the other part of this that's interesting is that uh, a different general manager essentially doing it then than what's, what's happening now. Alex Anthopoulos is their GM now. And remember, um, things weren't always so rosy when John Coppolella was running the team but he was really the main one that was responsible for building that organization. And by the way, a lot of general managers kind of feel like he got a raw deal being banned for baseball for life. But um, look, Freddie Freeman, whether he's a baseball Hall of Famer, that's hard to say at this point. He's a Braves Hall of Famer. They'll retire his number when he's done. Jason Hayward, uh, you know, one of the best defensive outfielders we've ever seen. Why his offense just completely aggressed, I still don't know to this day. And I've heard every year that it's going to get better and it doesn't, so. Uh, And then Kimbrell, yes, as far as, the last 20 years of closers are concerned. I never put the elite on a closer until after it's all said and done. And yes, Craig Kimbrell in his heyday it was, was elite. an elite closer, but he but yeah. very few. It's like him, Kenley Jansen, and like shut the door and then let, like yeah. that's it. Um, yeah. You know, that's why these days, like I don't say Kirby Yates is an elite closer. Show no, me no. you've done it for five, six years and then we can start talking about that. But a guy having a great year out of the bullpen does not make you elite. Kimbrell wasn't. I
2: an elite agree. Guy. I, I agree with that. Kimbrel and Hayward and Freeman in one draft is a pretty good haul right there. Uh, the Expo slash Nationals, you can say, well, is it taking back-to-back years of Harper and Strasburg? Or do you want to go back to 2000 when they were still the Expos? And uh, there was a big package deal going on at the time to acquire Bartolo Colon. And in that draft, they had taken Grady Sizemore. Cliff Lee, along with Brandon Phillips, that was that trade with, uh, with obviously um, the Cleveland Indians there. And uh, they brought in Bartolo, but I mean, they did give up quite a bit. Grady Sizemore, unfortunately, some injuries kind of derailed with yeah. a great career, but Cliff Lee certainly did deliver. And then oh, you yeah. got your 2010 Marlins draft. How about sure. this one? Christian Yelich and JT Real Muto. And none of them are with the Marlins anymore. I mean, it makes me sad. They also had Mark Kana in this draft, who had a pretty darn good year for the A's last year. He did.
1: He did. did he and on? and um, look, you know, a lot of stuff happened with the Marlins, which we don't have <laughs> enough time to do a minute with. Uh, but let's be honest with Mark Kana. Nobody saw him doing what he did last year. But in terms of Yelich and Real Muto, um, you know, two great players, two players that uh, had the situation been different, had Jose Fernandez not passed away. Uh, had the team not been sold, maybe you're in a different situation, but I got to tell you, and I always knew JT was going to be the guy he is now, but nobody saw Yelich coming like this, Joe. And, and no. I want to be very clear on this. Anybody who says that the Marlins made a bad trade by trading, uh, Yelich to the Brewers for everything that they got, you are correct. But let me ask you something. Why were the Brewers and the Blue Jays, the only two teams that even made an offer for Christian Yelich? If every, if we're going to blame all the teams that passed on Patrick Mahomes in the NFL draft, I want the list of the 28 other teams that could have right. had Christian Yelich and didn't try.
2: You're not wrong. What's and a, and not difference? only that, I think Yelich's profile was more of a guy. And that's why you have to the first power year in Milwaukee. I was still skeptical. I really was because he had 22 home runs in the last two months of the season. And I thought, wow, I don't know if I want to buy in on that. He did it again. <laughs> you know what? They did it again. And now I'm wrong and I'm throwing my hands up. I'm OK with it. But he was a guy who looked like nobody, a batting nobody title. nobody had not, not a home run guy. guy. Nobody, really? nobody
1: had that. He even guy. I mean, the Marlins saw him play every single day, and they didn't. And they didn't know that. And uh, and look, that's a joke that somebody else can make at their expense. I'm not going to do it. All right, that'll do it for hour number one. We got some football props coming up next from the FanDuel Sportsbook. It is Craig Mish, Joe Pizzapia, right with you here on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away.